This country was built on a distinctly American work ethic. But today, work is in trouble. We've outsourced most of our manufacturing to other countries. And with that, we sent away good jobs and diminished our capability to make things. American Giant is a clothing company that's pushing back against this tide. They make a variety of high-quality clothing and activewear, like sweatshirts, jeans, dresses, jackets, and so much more. All made right here in the USA, from growing the cotton to adding the final touches. So when you buy American Giant, you create jobs for seamsters, cutters, and factory workers in towns and cities across the United States. And it's about more than an income. Jobs bring pride, purpose. They stitch people together. If all that sounds good to you, visit American-Giant.com and get 20% off your first order when you use code STAPLE20 at checkout. That's 20% off your first order at American-Giant.com with promo code STAPLE20. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Is it off to McCaffrey? There he goes! It's a C-Mac attack! McCaffrey, what made the beat? This is Desmond Johnson on the Believe and Carolina Panthers podcast here on the Believe Podcast Network the number one podcast network for professionals. Do you believe? If you enjoy the show, please subscribe and rate the show on iTunes. We're available in your favorite directories, iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, Luminary, and TuneIn. You can also find us at Believe.com and at Believe Podcasts on Twitter. And welcome back into a brand new spanking edition of Believe in Carolina Panthers. This is your host, Desmond Johnson, joined by my co-host, Skylar Callahan from Sports Illustrated. Skylar, we're on another uh, Defeat Monday. How's it going, brother? It's going well, man. Hope you are. Uh, yeah, it's, we've got a lot to dive into, so I'm excited to talk all about it. Yeah, I agree. Um, the Panthers lose their third straight this time to the Minnesota Vikings, 34-28 to in overtime. Uh, a lot to dig into here. We'll kind of dissect this game and kind of go over what we liked, what we did not like. Um, and actually, we've got some audio today. We'll do a little bit of respond, react. Uh, we'll get to hear from Brian Burns, Hassan Reddick, head coach Matt Rule, and starting quarterback Sam Darnold. Before we do all that, and then we'll also preview uh, the upcoming matchup against the New York Giants. Uh, Skylar, you told me that you're going to be actually heading up to the Big Apple to cover this game on uh, on Sunday, uh, 1 p.m. on Fox, if I'm not mistaken. So we'll get into a little preview with that as well. Before we do all that, a quick word from Bet Online. Uh, they're back and better than ever. A new web interface for the start of the basketball season and more props, odds, and lines than ever before. Bet Online remains your number one spot for all basketball and football action this season. Head to the new updated desktop or mobile website to sign up today. Receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Just use our promo code BELIEVE50, that's B L E A V 50, to receive your bonus. Basketball, football, baseball, postseason. NHL, boxing, and UFC right to your favorite Vegas casino games. Don't wait to take advantage of all the amazing offers available for the 2021 season. Bet online is the fastest and easiest way to bet all your favorite sports. Bet online where the game starts. Um, I had wanted to do, and something we were doing a little bit last year uh, when the opportunity presented itself, it's basically called Respond React. And it's uh, the, the Panthers key players at the podium. Skylar, you've heard all these already because you were actually, you know, involved in the press conference on Sunday and then the player con- uh, press conferences on Monday. Uh, but for those who have not heard some of these, you may have some questions that you would have wanted to ask the players. 
And what we do here is we're going to play uh, the the answers from these questions. And then me and Skylar will kind of react to what those players said. Is it is it you know factual in what they said or is it kind of BS and they're kind of skipping around the questions? So let's uh, let's start off with uh, defensive end Hassan Reddick. He was asked, what did the Vikings do to limit pressure from himself and Brian Burns, who have basically been kind of canceled out the past three weeks um, in terms of pressure to the quarterback? And this was uh, Hassan's answer. We knew coming into the game that Kirk Cousins was somebody who likes to get the ball out of his hands fast. Um, On top of that, like I said, they had a tight end and wide receiver uh, on the edges, you know, most of the most of the time, our inside guys we're doing well. I remember a couple of times inside guys doing well, getting some pressure. Um, but you know, a mixture of uh mixture of a uh, tight end chipper help and stuff like that, and um uh just Kurt getting the ball out of his hands fast. Skylar, your thoughts on uh Reddick's response? Basically saying they're kind of double teaming him and Brian Burns uh on the edges there, or at least at the beginning of each play. Yeah, it's basically I mean I would say he's he's pretty fairly accurate about about that. I mean, when you look at the pressure that Hassan and Burns were really putting on quarterbacks the first three weeks of the season, it was just almost unbelievable. Not only the amount of times they were getting to the quarterback, but they were affecting throws. They were affecting the pocket. May not have resulted in a, in a QB hit or a sack, but they were affecting plays almost every single time the quarterback dro- dropped back to pass. And really, ever since – the, the game against the Cowboys. I mean, the Cowboys kind of had the first, you know, kind of, uh, I guess, figure it out moment against them. And ever since then, we've seen Philadelphia and now Minnesota have a, a very similar game plan to how to, to really neutralize that th- those two guys. And for me, I think it just comes down to that. That just means someone else has to step up, number one, whether it be the interior guys, Derek Brown, Daquan Jones, Yitor Gross Matos on the uh they, they could sub in on the end or Morgan Fox. Those guys have to get going because the more guys that you have that can apply pressure just makes it even harder for, for the opposing offensive line. I mean, we talked about it all last year mm-hmm. about how Brian Burns was the only guy. Now you added Hassan Reddy, but now you just have two really good guys, and there's really no pass rush outside of that. And I think having Shaq Thompson out, yes, he's a linebacker, but he can affect things in the pocket and whatnot. I think having him out has been a huge absence for that defense. And I think for Phil Snow, he's just got to mix some things up, find creative ways to get them pressure, attract attention to other to, to the other players. So that way Brian Burns and Hassan Reddick can get in the backfield. Let me, I'm going to play, uh, actually have audio from Brian Burns. Uh, he was talking about missed opportunities. Uh, someone had asked him about that very thing in terms of getting pressure from the interior. And then I'll comment. Here's Brian Burns on uh, missed opportunities versus the Vikings on Sunday. Does that also create potential opportunities for an interior rush? And do you miss a guy like Shaq in some of those instances? Oh, uh, yeah, I definitely miss Shaq. Um, Shaq is a baller. But uh, yeah, it does create uh, opportunities for the inside guys, but also you still have to remember that when they're chipping us, that tackle is still sitting on that, that three technique. You feel what I'm saying? I mean, uh, until the chip leaves. So he's going to sit down on the three techniques, which is going to slow him down too. Like the whole chip thing slows the rush down. Like that's what it's for. You feel what I'm saying? So that's just what it is. You know, so uh, I, and I, from what I'm hearing there and from the, the question, it sounded like it was Scott Fowler that asked the question from the Charlotte Observer. I um 
I, I feel like in the first three games, they were getting that interior pressure. I feel like we were calling Derek Brown's name a lot. Uh, Uter Grosbatos, we called his name out a lot. Uh, Daquan Jones, we were calling these guys' names because they were getting back there. And it feels like that stopped. Like, all of that has stopped all of a sudden. And it kind of happened right around when Shaq got hurt uh, a couple weeks ago. Now, I'm seeing that Shaq might lace up and play this Sunday versus the Giants, which would be a huge help. But I started thinking back to uh, there are plenty of times where uh, they would call, like a, I guess, like a, a linebacker blitz or something, and Shaq would come running in from a hole, you know, unblocked and get to the quarterback. And it feels like they've stopped doing that. Like the linebackers aren't able to, or the linebackers aren't capable of getting back there to do the same thing that Shaq could do. Um, they're literally playing without their best defensive player, in my opinion, which is Shaq Thompson. I think he had shown that he was going to have a breakout year before he hurt his foot in terms of what he was doing, flying around all over the place. But, um, yeah, if they're if they're able to block Brian Burns and Hassan Reddick like that and basically chip them both at the same time, uh, it should have been a lot easier for the Panthers' defense to cover because now you're talking about longer routes that have to develop because they're having to stop and chip them first before they go out. And I just didn't understand why Minnesota was able to drop 571 yards on the Panthers. It's the second most uh yards given up by a Panthers defense of all time. Um the the number one is the uh, the infamous Matt Ryan Julio Jones game uh in 2016 uh the first time we saw them without Josh Norman where Julio Jones went off for like 300 yards receiving Matt Matt Ryan had like 500 yards passing it, it was a nightmare <laughs> of a day uh this one didn't feel like that one that one felt like we just couldn't stop Atlanta that day this one felt still close and they were just gobbling up yards and it's a, it's a stark difference from where the Panthers team was a couple of weeks ago, and I don't know if it's because of who they played or they're missing players or teams are starting to figure them out. Yeah, I mean, I think the way I looked at it was the game was just a mess from the very beginning. I mean, the Sam Donald interception. Oh, right. The, right, right first. That, <laughs> it, just, it just seemed like it was – I it was just out of funk from there on out. But – when I looked up in the fourth quarter and they were trailing 28-17, it, it didn't really feel like, you know, Minnesota had really done that much offensively to even be up by 11. Yet you look up and you look at the the statistics and, I mean, they are what they are, but it just didn't feel that way. It, it didn't feel – it may have been the most quiet 571 yards I've ever seen. Yeah. But the way they did it was those chunk plays. They got chunk plays, they got turnovers, they got extra possessions, and that really wore on the defense as the game went on. But, yeah, I, I think not having Shaq Thompson is is absolutely hurting this defense because, as you said, he was ha- on his way to having the best year of his career. And I, I think, really, we saw him for the first time, really since he's been a Panther, I think, that, that he kind of felt like he had the control of his defense because mm-hmm. – He's he's the longest tenured guy on that side of the ball. He's he's been around here before. He's been through a couple of coaching staffs now, and he just needed a little bit of help last year. He didn't really have that. Now he's got a Son Reddick. Now he's got Morgan Fox on front. Daquan Jones. He's got pieces around him. They need him back for them to move on. But yeah, um, I, I would say this. I don't think the Panthers' defense that we saw this past Sunday is any indication of what we're going to see moving forward. And I know the, the schedule is probably going to skew some of those numbers just because, again, they're playing the Giants next week, which, let's yeah. face it, their team's out. But <laughs> I do think 
that the defense that we saw earlier in the year is what we'll see for the remainder of the year. That's what I'm thinking too, because really it and it, it, it irritates me to hear the national media talk about well the Panthers must have been just you know because of who they played and blah blah blah, but they never talk about the fact that the Panthers are missing their key guys, not just guys, but like key cogs of the offense and defense that were responsible for that three and zero. I don't want to put it all on Christian McCaffrey being out, but uh, we're actually now we'll shift over to the offensive side of the ball. And uh, one of the things that's kind of come up now for this week is what exactly is the Panthers identity? Like, what are they like? We can't say they're a a run first ball team. We can't say they're a very good passing team either. So what exactly is the Panthers identity on offense? Uh, Wide receiver DJ Moore was asked this question uh, during the player uh, press conferences on Monday. And here's here's his uh, response. I mean, no, we got uh, all the weapons that we need when somebody goes down like Christian. Somebody just got to step up, whether it's a run-based game plan, a throw-based game plan, mix. We all got to go out there and do our job at the end of the day. So we didn't do it today, so we lost. He didn't really uh, answer the question, but <laughs> um, Matt Rule, and this is our, our final uh, soundbite for uh, today's episode, Matt Rule was asked the same question as well, and I think Coach Rule gave a more specific uh, response to this, and then we'll kind of dissect this as well. Um, you know, that might be who we are <laughs> moving forward. We might need to be, you know, getting no huddle and, and and move the ball down the field the way we did there. You know, I, I think right now um, we have to figure out, you know, uh, especially with Christian out and some other guys out, you know, what our identity is. You know, people are kind of uh, playing like a two-man type the thing on DJ and making sure DJ doesn't catch the ball. And, and, uh, you know, I think we, we tried to go to Robbie today. We tried to go to some other guys today, Zilstra today a little bit. Um, you know, obviously Terrace getting knocked out. Um, but he was, you know, we had a plan for him shy. We had a plan for him. So, um, you know, those guys have to make some plays. We have to find ways to help them make the plays, but, um, you know, the, the no huddle has helped us the last couple of weeks. And so again, we're, we're trying to figure out exactly what we can do to win, you know, the, the best, as best we can, um, you know, the defense kept us in that, you know, back to your question, the defense kept us in that game for a long, 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 long time. So, um, you know, we win and lose as a team. Defense had a chance to get the stop at the end to win it. So I don't ever say like, but, you know, they needed a little help in the first half, I think. So I wanted to start right there with our takeaways because um, one of the things I, I had to think back to last year, Skylar, too, and it's gone across two quarterbacks now. So, and I have to start thinking some of this is on Joe Brady, the offensive coordinator. How many times, do you recall the Panthers snapping the football with like two seconds or one seconds left on the play clock? Like yeah. it's really turned into a problem where there was a sequence in the, I think it was second quarter where uh, they didn't have the right players or personnel on the field or something. They had to call a timeout and then they come right back out there and it's still not right. And Donald tries to take a second timeout, which you can't do. It's illegal. It's like the, it's almost like Chris Weber calling a timeout versus North Carolina in that uh, Michigan Carolina game in 93 for the national championship that everybody remembers. It's along that level. Like you can't do, you can't call two back-to-back timeouts and Darnold did, uh, which penalized the Panthers. I, I feel like it's, it's almost like Brady doesn't know what he wants to do once a situation presents itself. And he's almost second guessing what he wants to call. And it takes forever to get the call in. And I can remember Teddy Bridgewater saying this around about this time of the year last year, where I think we, I think it was to the Vikings, actually. We lost the game to the Vikings. And uh, part of it was because I think Teddy overthrew DJ Moore in the end zone at the very end. And he was saying that they weren't getting the play in fast enough. And we all kind of pushed it on Teddy. And it's like, oh, that's just sour grapes, Teddy, because he's getting blamed for all these losses. 
But now looking back across the whole body of work, maybe Teddy was on to something. Maybe it is some kind of situation going on where it's taking forever for the play to come in. And maybe that's why the no huddle worked because they didn't have to wait on a play to come in. They were just able to go and, and just play. Uh, what are your thoughts on this? Because you actually saw this up close and you've been following the team, of course, and covering it for Sports Illustrated. Do you think that Joe Brady should be getting more blame here than what it seems like he's getting? I definitely do. But I don't think it's it's to the point where you should panic and say Joe Brady's not going to be the, the right guy for the OC job. I think he's just got to be more, I guess, he's got he's to make it not so complex. And I know – it sounds like very. I don't know how to say this. Some some of these got young these young coordinators that come up with these young coaches. Some of them are too smart, and what I mean by that is like Joe Brady's a very smart offensive minded head coach. Like he he's he's a genius offensively, and I don't and I mean that in every way. And the results may not show it, but I think in those certain situations where you're seeing there's a little bit of confusion on the formation or the play call or the, the sub packages that are going in, the personnel, whatever the case may be. There's too much thinking because Joe Brady's outsmarting himself. Right. You know I mean? He just needs to just let it come to him, get a feel for the game and how the game's going and just call the game. Like, and, and I think that's a discussion that he and Matt have probably already had. And that's why you're hearing Matt rules say, yeah, we're going to start committing to the run game. We're going to redefine ourselves. And I think that's what Joe Brady does because <clears throat> when you go back to his days at LSU, I mean, come on. He had Joe Burrow, J- J- uh, Justin Jefferson, yeah. Terry Marshall. I mean, no kidding he wanted to throw the ball 40 times a game. Mm-hmm. I think I saw that they threw it like 70% of the time. So he's kind of yeah used to that. And, and another thing, too, I think people forget this. He wasn't the, he wasn't the offensive coordinator at LSU. He was the passing game coordinator. So like, right. that's kind of his thing. And he learned that from Sean Payton underneath him in new Orleans. So he's not, he's not used to calling 30 runs per game or whatnot. they weren't doing that when they have McCaffrey here healthy. So I I think that's an excellent point that they do need to look at because uh, Chuba Hubbard can actually run the football. Like he's actually pretty comfortable back there. 100%. Yeah. I think he's, he is right where I thought he would be at this point in the year. Now he got up a little bit of a slow start. Um, in the preseason and training camp and stuff like that with pass protections. And uh, he missed a pass protection on Sunday, too, that led to a sack. Maybe two. I know one for sure. But uh, catching the ball out of the backfield has been an issue for him. He had two drops on Sunday, too. So those are the areas where you look at and say, yeah, Christian McCaffrey would certainly help in those situations. But as far as just running the ball goes, Chuba Hubbard is as good of a, a an RB2 as you're going to get. In the mm-hmm. I, I, I totally agree. So when, you know, even if you don't have McCaffrey on the field as Joe, as the offensive coordinator, Joe Brady has to just look at it and go, look, I've got Chuba Hubbard. I've got a veteran in Royce Freeman. I've got to run through those guys to set up Sam Darnold because you right now the attention is so much on, you know, stopping the passing game because that's what Carolina's, you know, their tendency is, is to just rely on the passing game. But when your offensive line's having so much issues protecting against a four-man rush, I mean, it makes it hard to move the football. And that's mm-hmm. what you saw on Sunday. You know, Sam, you know, was getting pressure by four guys, and it's the same thing every single week. Like I said, they're dropping so many guys into coverage and is muddying things up for him. He's not placing the ball where it's supposed to be. They're not on time. It's a, it's a, it's a myriad of issues right now. 
they're daring them to run the ball with no McCaffrey. Yeah. That's what it, to me, it, it, from looking at it from my living room couch, it's like, okay, they're basically saying we will, we will let Hubbard run for 120 yards. If you want him to run for it, we just don't think you're going to let him. So we're going to, we're going to drop back eight and, and just basically wait. And they're, and the Panthers are helping them out that play, that first play of the game where uh, Donald throws that interception. If you look back at the replay of it, like from like Skyview, there's only three routes that are being run on that on that on that play. There's a deep route of DJ Moore up top that they were trying to go to first. That's covered. There's an intermediate route, and then there's the route of Robbie coming back, and he got there after he had probably went to DJ like twice in the in the 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 tree. And when you have like multiple guys covering three routes going out, it's really hard to throw the ball and and complete passes it reminds me of the offense we had with cam newton to be honest like where cam was getting uh ridiculed not ridiculed he was getting criticized for holding the ball too long but what people didn't understand was the routes that they were running in that offense were long routes like deep routes and he's having to wait three four seconds for them to get to the point for him to release it and if they're still covered he has no place to go and with Cam, Cam could make something out of it here and there, but for the most part, he was going to take a sack. And with Sam, Sam is not like that, where he can make something out of it. He can, but he's not wired the same way. He's not wired to think, I'm going to take off, you know, if there's nothing there. He's still trying to make that play, and he tried to force that pass into uh, Robbie Anderson, and it got intercepted. Um, I the, the biggest takeaway I took from it, and you kind of echoed on it, and uh, I think uh, Coach Rule thinks the same, we have got to commit to the run game. Like it's dry. I'm an old school quarter. I mean, I'm an old school football fan. And for me, it's always been run the ball, stop the run. It doesn't matter what level of football you're looking at. Pop Warner to NFL. If you can run the football effectively and you can stop the run effectively, you're going to win a bunch of games. Look at the Baltimore Ravens. They yeah. have literally lost like five running backs and <laughs> like all kinds of players, but they have stayed, they know who they are. Like they have an identity. They're going to run the football. They're not going to put Lamar Jackson in situations if they can help it, where he's got to bail them out by throwing the ball deep. They're not going to come out throwing the ball deep in the beginning. They're going to run the football and they know, you know, they're going to run the football and they're going to keep doing it. And the Panthers used to be that way when we had Cam where we had a streak of 100-yard games going on, I think, across like two or three seasons. And that's gone now. We've moved to this whole passing first offense that I've always felt like is fleeting. It, it can't be sustained. And we're seeing some of that in Kansas City right now, too, where their defense is horrible compared to Carolina's, and they're relying on Pat Mahomes' arm. And they had three turnovers yesterday, yet they still won because they were playing the Washington football team. You can't rely on that to win a whole lot in this league, you're always going to need to have some sort of run game to be able to succeed, in my opinion. And uh, watching that game yesterday, there was no offensive rhythm. Like I could not get into a rhythm watching them play. So I, I feel like the players, there was no way for them to get into a rhythm while they were playing for three and three fourths of a quarter until they got to the two minute mark in the fourth quarter and had to go to hurry up. And then they actually looked good. That was like the one time all day they actually looked good going down the field. Yeah. Um, and I don't know if it's because it was no huddle or because uh, they weren't thinking as hard or whatever the case may be. That seemed to, to, to spark something for them. But for me, the biggest takeaway I took was that they have to commit to the run game. Like it doesn't matter if Matt Rule tells everyone they're going to try to run the ball 30 plus times. If you're going to do it, do it and let this offensive line build some confidence. 
Yeah, and I saw a couple people on uh, I don't know if it was Twitter or Facebook. I can't remember now. Try to erase all of where the the weird comments come from. But uh, <laughs> somebody said, "Well, why is Matt Rule out here saying, you know, basically giving away the game plan that they're going to run the ball thirty times a game?" Look, at, at this point in the season, everybody understands who you are and what you're going to do, and I understand that. Matt Rule just comes out today and says, you know, we want to run the ball this many times. We want to start running the ball more. Yes, but everyone knows pretty much those run concepts, those pass concepts. It doesn't matter how much you run or how much you pass. They're going to be prepared for what those looks are going to look like when they come on the field on Sunday. So it doesn't really matter. But I I 100% agree. They have to be able to run the football. And here's my thing. I, I don't understand and i guess it just depends on who you're playing but let's be honest mike zimmer is one of the 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 best defensive minds in football yeah like he knows what he's doing and he he put together a really good game plan as he usually always does but i don't understand the idea of coming out under center running a play action fake pass and you know, Darnold's going from the right over to the left, and he comes back right, and he throws it. Almost, I knew as soon as he was coming back right to Robbie that he was going to make a mistake because he needed to throw that ball away. That was a very long throw to make. Yeah, almost across the body, sort of. He was kind of running that way and had to kind of throw it that direction. Exactly. He wanted to run a little bit, and he's getting pursued on top of it. Uh, that's a long time for a quarterback to be back there. He, that play had to develop over, what, five, six seconds of him oh, just kind of waiting. Absolutely. And, and at home, we couldn't see what he's looking at until the replay. So you have no idea that he's looking at option one, two, and three. That's it. There's nothing else out there to throw to. Uh, and he had to have gone through his progression at least twice in that period of time. But everybody's covered. Just throw the ball away. But I think over the past couple of weeks, especially with no McCaffrey, you can kind of tell the pressure starting to build in Darnold's head that he needs to do something, maybe he's pressing a little bit, and that's probably where that came from on that interception. But uh, I'm looking at the the, the box score uh, for the game, and a couple things that stood out to me, third down efficiency, the the Panthers were two for 12 in third down. Like, that just is not going to work, like, at all. Um, the, The Minnesota Vikings ran 84 offensive plays. Uh, Carolina ran 68. So Minnesota basically ran 20 extra offensive plays than Carolina. And if you really think about it, turnovers, 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 really, again, the second week in a row where turnovers have just killed this team, really the third week in a row where turnovers are just killing them. Um, and, and the drops, I don't know what the hell was going on yesterday, but <laughs> <laughs> like, I counted seven, but someone said that there was eight. So I, yeah, I wouldn't be shocked. I think uh, Robbie and DJ had six combined, and then uh, Hubbard had two, I believe. That's right. So, yeah. 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 So, and those are the three dudes that you're expecting uh, Darnold to throw it to the most. If you're going to be throwing it 40 plus times, you think those three are probably going to be the three to get the majority of those. Uh, that just can't happen. Uh, DJ Moore putting the ball on the ground, a fumble late in the game. Uh, it just it was sloppy football. Like I wouldn't expect the sloppiness from the Panthers and uh, the regime that they're under seven weeks into the season. Like I, I don't know what to do with it really. Yeah, and uh, the one thing I hated hearing earlier in the week, and I don't know how much this kind of relates to it, but <laughs> Matt Rule said on Wednesday that they had the best practice they've had since he's been on the job. 
Oh, I forgot about that. Yeah, he did. <laughs> Thursday and Friday go along, and he and he said, "Yeah, we we continue to have good practices throughout the week. Probably our best week of practice." That to me is like the kiss of death because yeah. I, yeah. I swear, every time I don't care if it's college head coach or NFL head coach, whatever. Every time those those types of you know s- statements are made, it seems like it's always followed up with a dud on game day. I yeah. don't understand it. When, when teams have a, a terrible week of practice and the coach comes out and says it, they look amazing on game day. So maybe they're lying. I, I don't know what the – maybe it's a jinx of some sort. But the one thing that I think, you know, when you go back and look how the Panthers have lost these last three games, it's got, it's got to be starting to take a toll on them because Dallas, you're up at halftime. And then the game just got away from you. Then you had to scratch and claw your way back into it. Then you were into it. All you had to do is get a defensive stop, and they couldn't. And then you lose that game. It, you felt like you fought so hard to get back into it, and it just slipped right through your fingers. Yeah, Philadelphia, you had that game won. I mean, let's be honest. They had the game won. They just handed Philadelphia that win. Again, same issues, same mistakes. It cost them that one. And then you go to this one. It, it's like right off the bat, that Sam Darnold interception, I think really kind of flipped the switch and how they kind of – and their attitude in the game. Because I think they're ready to go. I really do. But when you have something negative happen that early on, it changes your whole mindset. It's 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 the, oh, here we go again. You know what yeah, I mean? That's exactly how I felt. I was like, are you kidding? <laughs> especially after you've had the, the those two losses, the way you've lost those two games in the last two weeks, and then that happens first play. It's like, oh, crap. Okay. Here we go, and then it's it's just a non it's a non ending cycle. So I don't know. I I asked Matt Rule about it today. He gave a really good response. Um, basically said you know, we can't let that stuff affect us because if we do, then we don't deserve to win the games. We got to you know focus on that on just being able to deserve to win the games. We're not going to win them all. But we have to be able to deserve to win the game. I and, feel. Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, good, good. I was just going to say that. Uh, Yet again, I went on social media after the game just to kind of gauge and see where the, the fans were. And I should have known that there was a mutiny brewing in terms of uh, fire Matt Rule, get rid of Sam Darnold, uh, DJ Moore's horrible. Like literally, this fan base will turn on you know a dime oh, <laughs> you know, yeah. if something's going wrong. Uh, they went from being super positive and excited about the future three weeks ago to the the, the end is near and the world is falling apart. I think uh, we kind of need to step back and put a perspective here because those first three games might have been the worst thing that happened to the fan base because I think it, it added extra expectations that they weren't expecting to have. Bullshit. And then them being so aggressive on the trade market, you know, it, it felt like they were going for it. But then the past three weeks, it's just like it's they've exposed so many warts that they already had and already knew. We knew the offensive line was not going to be good. Before the season started, this isn't a surprise to anyone. We all sat there and looked at it and went, mm, Cam Irvin, that doesn't, mm, I don't know. Like, is this going to work? Like, moving, Mo- talking about moving Moten to the left side, that's not his side. Just, we knew, we knew all, none of this should be a surprise, but everyone's acting like, oh, well, oh my gosh, what's, what's happened? Like, why are they getting back there to Darnold so quick? Because the offensive line's not very good. <laughs> and we've known that for months. And the easiest, cure for it to me is to run the ball they seem to be okay in run blocking they're i mean it's like five yards of carry it feels like that they're uh getting with uh with hubbard back there so uh, to me they just need to 
the mentality needs to change. You can't put all this on Sam Darnold. He's not that type of quarterback. No, and I actually was going to bring this up earlier, and I forgot, so I'm glad you mentioned this. So it's the same thing, like, the way I look at the Sam Darnold situation is you have to be able to run the football and play really good defense, and I think Sam Darnold is going to be a really good quarterback. And if if you can do those things, I think you're almost kind of a a, a carbon copy of the San Francisco 49ers from a couple of years ago when they went to the Super Bowl. I mean, mm-hmm. Jimmy Garoppolo went to the went to the Super Bowl. He took yeah. the 49ers <laughs> to the Super Bowl, and we're talking about this guy maybe losing his job to some kid out of North Dakota State. Like, <laughs> let's not get this twisted. It doesn't take. You know, you don't have to have a Patrick Mahomes. You don't have to have a Josh Allen or a Lamar Jackson. Is it nice to have those types of guys? Absolutely. But those guys are so, so very hard to hit on. There's only so many of them that come around every 10, 15 years. And the rest of the league just has to hope that they have the next best crop. You know what I mean? So I think, I think Darnold can be in that next best of the, you know, next uh, batch of quarterbacks that are good enough to win. He has to have a good defense. He has to have a good offensive line, and it can all come together. They can get to a Super Bowl with Sam Darnold, but they have to be able to run. They have to be able to protect. They have to play elite defense. All but one week, they've played really, really good defense. They have not been able to really run the ball that well, even though McCaffrey and Hubbard have shown they can. If you look at the averages, they're towards like the 20s in terms of rushing yards per game. Mm -hmm. But they also – be to what we said earlier to they're not sticking with the run game enough when they're doing it it's working so there, there's a lot yeah, of moving pieces here but i i think that everyone needs to just calm down and relax about sam darnold because it's really hard to judge him off this offensive line and, and i've heard several people on twitter over the last couple of weeks saying well yeah well patrick mahomes never had a good offensive line this quarterback never has a good offensive line 20-some teams in the offensive line NFL don't have a good line. The way I look at it, there's 32 teams in the NFL. One way or another, there's a, a, a team that's got the best offensive line and there's a team that's got the worst. Your goal, is, if you want to get to the Super Bowl or to the playoffs, is to not have one of those t- you know, 10 worst offensive lines. You know, you're, yeah. You're, yeah. I understand everyone needs offensive line help, but you can't have one of the bottom of the crop. Yeah, you're not going to get very far uh, with it. And you got to do some things to kind of hide that stuff, too, which is where the, the run game would come into play. You remember a couple of weeks back, I think it was, it might have been after week three, Panthers were 3-0, and riding high. They just beat uh, Houston on Thursday Night Football. And I had mentioned on this very podcast that Sam Darnold was starting to remind me of Troy Aikman a little bit. And Troy Aikman actually was on the call of that football game. And they were talking, Troy was talking about how he liked Sam Darnold. He liked his mechanics. He got a chance to watch him work out and practice he liked a lot of things about him without going as far as saying he reminds him a lot of himself he kind of basically said he reminds me a lot of myself and i think for like uh, especially like younger viewers who may not remember troy aikman troy aikman's in the hall of fame but he's not in the hall of fame because he put up gaudy numbers or was able to carry a team by himself that's not why i was comparing him to troy aikman troy aikman was at his peak when he had all the pieces around him that he needed to succeed and it's the stuff you just said Good, great running game. He had, you know, just the NFL's all-time leading rusher, Emmett Smith, running behind him. In front of him, he had the Great Wall of Dallas, so he had protection, and it didn't matter anyway because he was handing the ball off more often than not. When he had to throw it, he had two wide receivers, Michael Irvin, Alvin Harper, that he could get it out to that were going to catch it and move the chains. 
And he had a dependable tight end and Jay Novacek that he could actually, you know, work the middle of the field with. So he, you give him all these weapons and he becomes a pretty good quarterback. But you go back and look at Troy Aikman's stats. I'm sitting there looking through it. He started in 89, finished his career in 2000. The most he ever threw for in a season, uh, touchdown-wise, was 23. And that was in 1992 when Dallas won the Super Bowl. Uh, the most yards he ever had in a season was that same year. He threw for 3,445 yards, which today sounds pedestrian. Uh, but in, in 92, it was you know a pretty good amount. Uh, he never really threw. He never threw for more than 3,500 yards in any given season. And the years where he did not have a run game uh, towards the end of his career, 97, 98, 99, 2000, it was kind of a pedestrian type of uh, career. 19 touchdowns, 12 touchdowns, 17 touchdowns. I say all this because Troy is in the Hall of Fame and he has three Super Bowl rings and he's widely considered one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time. But you look at his stat line, you're like, how? <laughs> like, why is he considered one of the greatest of all time? There's a perception he was extremely accurate. And he was the leader of that team. Can I, does Sam Darnold fit that mold? Absolutely. I think Sam Darnold could be that same type of quarterback. And I think that's why they have him here. But the more the offensive play calling is structured to basically have Sam Darnold look like Pat Mahomes, this team will not win football games. He no. is not that kind of quarterback. He can't just step back there and sling it 45 times in a shootout and expect to win. Uh, Teddy Bridgewater was good at that, going back and forth in the shootout. But Teddy lacked what we saw from Sam yesterday, which is the ability to make a play when it counts towards the end of a football game. That's why Teddy's not here anymore, because he had eight chances to do that last year in eight separate games and failed on every single one of them. Sam Darnold, to his credit, had a crappy day all day, throws a 40-yard dart out of his end zone to end Thomas to extend this game and get them down the field, what, 96 yards or whatever in two minutes to, to basically yeah. tie – an eight point deficit. That's what I wanted to see. I wanted to see if Sam Darnold could do that. And he did that in a no huddle and it looked good. Grant, he yeah. didn't get a chance to touch the ball again, you know? So I can't really blame him completely for the loss. He, of course, he's got some, some things in this game that, that contributed to it. But when it came down to it at the end, he showed me that same parallel that Troy Aikman had that it factor where he can make some things happen with his arm when you need him to. But if you need him to throw for 350 yards every week and four touchdowns and no interceptions, he is not that guy. No, and I think, you know, that was really my biggest takeaway the entire day was that as bad as he was, and, I mean, he was bad. He had a lot of bad decisions, a lot of questionable throws. When you have the ball at the four-yard line and it's fourth and ten, the game's on the line, you just need to get 10, 11 yards to at least keep the game open. He, he absolutely put a rope on Ian Thomas. I mean, it wasn't like he just kind of threw it up as a prayer and hoped that Thomas came down. I mean, he put it on the money. And then he scrambled for a first down. He also converted another fourth down on that drive. I believe it was a fourth and five or fourth and six. And then he put a, a beautiful drop of the dime in the bucket to D.J. Moore down to the seven-yard line. And, and credit to D.J. Moore. He had a rough game, too. He comes in with the play at the end. Robbie Anderson had a terrible day. He makes a touchdown catch. It, it To me, it, it was more about how those guys responded to adversity in, in, in the biggest moments because that team could have actually, absolutely just folded in that final drive and just said, you know what, we're packing it in. You know, fourth and ten, 
maybe we just won't protect as good here. We won't try to, you know, run down a field deep, make a catch. They really put in all their effort into that final drive. And again, some of those things may have been because Minnesota was playing prevent a little bit, or, you know, they were trying to keep things underneath, but I mean, you got to credit the Sam Donald, the offensive line, DJ Moore, Robbie Anderson for making those plays when they absolutely had to have them. Like there's plays throughout a game where you could go back and say, yeah, if they would have done this, if they would have done that. But when you get to the end of the game and it's do or die, you have to make those plays. You have to execute. I thought they did that. And I think that's a positive sign. You can look at the, at the stat sheet and say Sam Donald completed 40-some percent of his passes and be like, well, dang, that's not very good. My takeaway is that mm-hmm. he stepped up in the moment where they need him most and gave them a chance to win. Again, Teddy Bridgewater, like you said, had eight opportunities last year. Didn't do it once. You know, I understand they didn't win the game, but Sam Darnold at least went down and tied the game up. You know what I mean? Gave yeah, him a- like we get, the, we get the coin flip and they're right back out there and I feel pretty good about them getting down at least to field goal range at least at that point. 100%. But- they never got the ball back. So, I mean, they just – I ugh. that was the first – you know, this past Sunday was the first game where I was just like, we did not play well enough to win that game. Like, that was a game that we just – we should have lost it from the beginning. It looked like we just were out of sorts. The other team was better prepared. Because all the other games, even the Dallas game, I felt like we probably could have won that game if we hadn't shot ourselves in the foot earlier on. Uh, and then the Philly game, especially, we were leading for most of that game. We just kind of let them hang around, and the defense got tired, basically, in the fourth quarter. We weren't ready for the RPO. This is the first time where I've looked at it, and I'm just like, Ugh, we got outplayed. <laughs> like, this is not this is not what I was expecting today. Uh, you look at the Vikings' record coming in, you think they're not very good, but you forget that they have a really good defense. They have a pretty good uh, offense, too. Um, they just kind of started off slow, and I think all their losses were like, uh, overtime or last second field goals and stuff like that. So it's not like they were getting, you know, beaten up by these teams. And I think people didn't see that going into it. Um, I wanted to move on before we had to get out of here and actually do a quick preview of the Giants uh, game coming up here. Uh, trying to find some stats on the Giants just to kind of get a feel for what we're looking at here. Cause I don't even know who's going to play <laughs> to be honest. I'm pretty Daniel Jones missed this past uh week with a concussion. If I'm not mistaken, correct. Uh, I don't remember if he did or not. I know he had the, the, the issue, but I'm, I'm not sure if he missed it or not. I'm sort of trying to figure. Oh, they played, uh, they played the, yeah. So uh, I'm just looking to see they're one in five, their last in the NFC East. Um, did play against the Rams. He was twenty nine of fifty one and had three. He did play against the Rams. Yeah, pretty rough day for him. Ew. So hey, I've never been. I've never been high on Daniel Jones. I I thought they were crazy to draft in the top ten two years ago when they did it. When he would have probably still been sitting there at sixteen or thirty or whatever. Uh, but for them to trade up and get him at nine, I thought uh, former Panthers GM Dave Gettleman had the reach of all reaches. And I've yet to see anything from Daniel Jones that makes me feel like he's going to be worthy of that uh, that pick. Um, they don't have... This Friday, oh. critics are calling Ron's gone wrong. Sorry. They don't have... Uh, <laughs> they don't. I'm on the, the Giants NFL page. Some movie popped up. Uh, they don't have Saquon Barkley. And I'm starting to wonder 
is it at the point now with Saquon where people are kind of arriving to with McCaffrey? Like, are you are you thinking that McCaffrey's injury prone? Because that's what I'm hearing a lot now from people. Well, he gets hurt all the time. And I'm like, well, he was hurt last year and he's hurt now. But to say he hurt all the time isn't accurate. He's been hurt more recently, I guess you could say. Right. And him going on IR sounds like more precaution than anything else. Um, because I haven't heard anything to suggest that you know he had a setback or anything. But are you starting to change your perception on McCaffrey and the whole people saying, you know, well, we we overpaid for him ever since he got the money, he's been injury prone, blah, 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 blah. Do you take any any weight with that at all? Or do you still yeah, look I mean, at McCaffrey as being as good as he was? I mean, I think you, you have to a little bit just because I mean, let's be honest, he's he's played in what six games since this coaching staff has taken over and since he signed his contract. So I think you have to look at it and say, well, maybe they did pay too much or maybe he is injury prone. But for me, I think you just kind of got to let it play out because this could just be one of those things where last year was an anomaly where he was just, you know, it was one thing after the other, just couldn't get you know away from the injury bug. This year, it may have just been this one little stretch where he had that hamstring issue, maybe went on a little longer than they thought, and maybe that's it. You know, maybe maybe after this injury is recovered, we get the Christian McCaffrey back that we saw the first three years of his career where he doesn't miss games. And if you go back and say three years from now, if he's playing in every game, no, I don't think he's injury prone to me you're not injury prone unless you do it in in multiple consecutive seasons to where you're missing chunks of playing time. Now, right now, yes, he's off to that start. But it, to me, it's it's got to be like a three, four, five-year type of thing. And it, I guess you could say it with, with this contract. So if this continues from now until the duration of his contract, then absolutely, you can label him injury prone all you want. I couldn't argue with you. But I think right now it's a little bit too early because you just don't know. Maybe this is the last time he's really going to miss significant time. But, I mean, for Saquon Barkley, I mean, yeah, I think it's kind of harder for me to to argue that he's not injury prone because that's really how he's been since he's been in the league. You know, yeah, that's true. when he came in, he was playing every game for three years. And Barkley, that's not been the case. Yeah, that, that's kind of where I'm stuck on, too, because you're absolutely right. The first three years of McCaffrey, uh, people were worried they were using him too much, like he was never coming off the field. Uh, and I don't really equate the injuries he's had on wear and tear. They've just been kind of, you know, football injuries. You, know, you play football long enough, you're going to get injured <laughs> doing something. It's a very violent game. Um, looking at the, the – I'm looking at the Giants to just kind of gauge where they are as a team – and they are not very good. Um, <laughs> I say that as my team is on a three-game losing streak, but <laughs> I'm trying to find them uh, in total uh, offense or whatever, and I can't even find them on the list. Like, what is going on here? I'm trying to find the – where are they? <laughs> They're not on this list I'm looking at here. Oh, there they are. Okay. They're about middle of the pack in terms of uh, pass yardage, um, and actually with Daniel Jones, I take that back. They're actually, looks like about top 10, um, in passing yards. They only have had five t- touchdowns and six interceptions so far this season. Um, they're not a, a team that really stretches the, the field. 
They've had three plays of 40 yards or more. Um, this team can be had on, on offense. I feel like the, the, our defense can really get after it in this game and gain some confidence back. Uh, Rushing-wise, they're not doing a whole lot good. of anything. Yeah. Uh, yeah, they've got 539 yards on the season on the ground. Uh, they it looks they're averaging less than four yards a carry on the ground. Um, so I mean, they that can the defense can have a really good game against uh, the 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 Giants' uh, offense. Now, looking at their their defense, it doesn't look much different to be honest. This Giants team just seems to be kind of middling. Um, there's not a guy over there that I'm like, okay, we got to pay attention to that guy. Might have been Barkley if he was playing. Um, and we don't know if he's going to play or not. I do remember them saying last week when he heard it, it was a week-to-week thing. So we might hear something Wednesday, Thursday that he's ready to go. But the picture I saw online after he twisted his ankle against the Cowboys, it looked like a water balloon on his ankle. I don't know if he's going to be able to go or not. Who was it again? Uh, Saquon Barkley. They were saying yeah. it's week-to-week. Yeah. Uh, but uh, I, when I saw his ankle, I'm like, there's no way that's a week to week sprain. So, but we haven't, he hasn't been ruled out. So, yeah, I, I think he's probably going to be out. I mean, really look at this depth chart and it's, it's a bunch of O's, Q's, and IR's. I mean, there's just so many injuries this team has had. They, I mean, they've been decimated with injuries, um, particularly on the, the defensive side, but recently the offensive side has really taken a hit. Uh, the way I look at it is, this the Giants offense, they're they're gonna try and slice you and dice you up their way to the field. Like you said, they're not really gonna take too many shots. But when you have guys like Kadarius Tony and Kenny Galladay, Sterling Shepard, Darius Slayton, I mean, you don't really have to take many shots because those are the type of guys that that just make plays in space. But you look at it, Kadarius Tony is questionable, Darius Slayton's out, Kenny Galladay's out, Saquon Barkley's likely out. So who's going to step up for them? I think that's the biggest question. I mean, there's guys even in their third string, like C.J. Board, he's out. I mean, they, they, they have just have so many injuries right now, and it, it makes it even harder for them because they haven't been running the football well, which doesn't take pressure off Daniel Jones. And now Devontae Booker and Gary Brightwell is probably going to take over some of those carries. I don't really think either of them is, is really much to worry about for Carolina. You look at the offensive line, it's it's not the greatest. I mean, this is a matchup for, you know, in terms of Panthers defense, Giants offense, that the Panthers should dominate. I mean. Get their groove back in this game, in theory. Uh, and hopefully they're looking at it that way because, to me, this is a must-win game. Like, if you lose this game, I know it's on the road, it's up in the Meadowlands, but if you lose this game against this Giants team, then what are we doing? Like, what are we doing? Like, it'll make me feel like players have checked out on what they're doing here. If they lose this game going forward, they may not be as keen to listen to uh, what Matt Rule is selling them. Uh, you got to win this game. You got you got games coming up. They're going to be – you got Buffalo on the schedule later. You got Tampa twice. You got to see the Saints again. Uh, get the wins where you're supposed to get them. We've already given one of those up in the, that, uh, that Eagles game I felt like should have been ours. And you just got to – Everybody's got, like you said at the beginning, everybody's got to take a step back. Don't give, I mean, we still have 12 more games to play. The season is not over. Um, but the Panthers have some work to do to turn some things around. And I'm kind of glad that they addressed it in the media. Previous regimes, John Fox, Ron Rivera, 
they wouldn't have came out and be like, hey, we need to do this. We need to do that. They just would have been like, uh, you know, missed opportunities. It is what it is. Uh, all those John Fox, Ron Rivera cliches that they would say all the time. And then nothing would change. So I, I do feel like at least acknowledging the problem might, you know, help that they're understanding they need to do certain things to get better. As um, they always say, the first step to it, to fixing your problem is admitting you have one. Admitting you have one is exactly right. And the Panthers right now have a uh, a pass-heavy uh, problem. So hopefully they'll be able to correct that. And maybe we see uh, Chuba Hubbard get off and, you know, have a great day. We're still without McCaffrey for another two weeks. Uh, so the ball's going to be in Hubbard's hands, especially if they're uh, talking about running the ball more. Uh, and I guess we're going to see a little bit more Royce Freeman too. So we'll see what they come up with here. Um, one thing before we go, though, uh, one thing I did realize, this team misses Curtis Samuel. They miss what yeah. Curtis was doing last year. And I think it's not talked about enough. Uh, he kind of picked up that run game a little bit last year and kept it afloat with McCaffrey out. And they don't have a player like that. They're trying to use DJ more like that a little bit, but he is not exactly what Curtis Samuel was in this offense last year. And that's starting to show. So that's somebody that maybe they should have considered. Well, they didn't have much of a choice, but uh, if he had stayed, it might be a little bit different here. Uh, Panthers giants, 1 PM Sunday, I believe Fox has the kickoff. Uh, we'll be back next Monday to uh, recap that game, hopefully a uh, victory Monday. And uh, we'll rec- we'll uh, preview the Panthers uh, next upcoming game after that as well. Uh, we got to get out of here, though. So for Skylar Callahan from Sports Illustrated, I'm Desmond Johnson from Tobacco Road Sports Radio. You've been listening to the Believe in Carolina Panthers podcast on the Believe Podcast Networks. Keep pounding. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.